welcome to Outside by Design, the podcast about the business side of creativity in the outdoor industry. I talk to some of our industry's finest leaders, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and creatives about crafting a life and a career based upon being outside. I'm your host, Lisa Slagle, and I own an outrageously fun creative agency called Wheelie Creative. Most people just call it Wheelie. And even though we've been in business for almost 10 years, I like to describe it as a new school creative agency for people who thrive outside. Today, I am talking to Abby Wise. She is the online managing editor at Outside Magazine, and she is a an explosion of positivity and talk about attitude of gratitude. She just has this mindset of gratitude that is so apparent in, in the words that she speaks and um, love, you know, passion and loving her job and, and just like, she's so positive and I'm so happy that there are voices like this behind our big editorial stories and media. Uh, so I really enjoyed talking to Abby. I've never met her in person and she is, yeah, it was, she's cool. I can just tell she's a really passionate, cool, smart person. Uh, so I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as uh, I enjoyed talking to Abby and getting to know her a little bit. Cool. Well, Abby, thank you so much for being here this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm stoked. Um, tell our listeners where you're coming from and what your setting looks like right now. Um, I am in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I think um, not a lot of people realize that Outside Magazine is actually based out of Santa Fe. Um, it's really lovely here. I love the high desert. And my backyard is BLM, like high desert land. And it's just really lovely. Um I don't know. There's nothing like a sunrise in the high desert. So I usually try and get up pretty early so I can catch that. That sounds magical. It is. Um, yeah. You know, I come from Minnesota, which is obviously like lands with 10,000 10, lakes and um, in the woods and very humid and rolling green hills. And so this is a very different environment than the one I was raised in. But man, I love the desert. Yeah. So... Tell us about what you do today and how you got there, kind of your whole story. Sure. So currently, I'm the online managing editor for Outside Magazine, um, which is a lot of fun. I get to work with such smart, cool people. Um, and we, you know, we get to spend every day focused on telling interesting, amazing stories about what all of us really care about, right? Like about our public lands, about cool people in our space, about cool records being broken, the gear you need to go on these awesome adventures. Um, and I just, I feel really, really lucky to be at a place in my career where I can really blend my passion uh, right with my professional life. Um, so anyways, I feel really lucky to be here. Before Outside Magazine, I was working for Mountain Project, um, which was acquired by REI, I think a couple of few years ago now. Um, <laughs> but I was I was working for REI to help uh, start their editorial efforts on all of their adventure projects. So that was really fun. Um, a lot different. We were a really small, scrappy team talking about super core uh, 
activities and sports. And it was a blast. I got to work with um, some really smart people there as well. Um, and that was up in Boulder, Colorado. But I actually, before that, was at Outside um, helping with our news, our social media, um, and that kind of thing. So I went like outside and then I moved to Boulder to do adventure projects. And then I moved back to outside because I couldn't stay away. I loved it so much. <laughs> That's hilarious. So were you, were you in New Mexico the first time that you worked for outside as well? I was, um, and sorry, now I'm like moving backward in time, but I had just moved from New York where I was working first for the Huffington post and then for real simple uh, magazine, which at the time was under time Inc. Um, and it was just such a culture shock. (laughs) You know, New York is great. I think that um, for a lot of us who live out West, especially those of us who work in the outdoors, sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our heads around New York because it's like such a different environment. Um, But I really did love it there. I, and there, there are really cool outdoor activities there too. I mean, the gunks is some of like the best climbing in the country and it's like two hours away. So I don't know. I I have a soft spot in my heart for New York, but man, am I glad to be out west. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So <laughs> as uh, as managing editor of Outside Magazine, what do you feel is your like main responsibility beyond job tasks, but like big ideas and goals and things that you're bringing to uh, the power of media in a good way? Um, Well, I feel really lucky in that I think my job is to think about those big picture roles and, and the future of media and um, how the outdoor, how outdoor media is talking about politics and people of color and women participating in the outdoors more. And I I feel really lucky to think about bigger picture um, topics that are very important to me personally and try and find a way. And I work very closely with uh, Axie, our executive editor, to kind of help the website run on a day-to-day basis, but also to think about those bigger picture ideas. Um, And I feel really lucky to get to play a role in in our conversation with our readers. Um, I just, it's such an exciting time to work in outdoor media. I feel like the outdoor industry is working really hard to shift what it has been historically, which is kind of a white bro um, area. And I just, it's a really fun time to be a part of that conversation and be, um, you know, not only contributing to it, but also, also thinking about smart ways to have a larger positive impact. Oh, that's cool. What uh, what are some of those smart ways to have a, a larger impact? Um, well, one thing that we are focusing on right now at Outside Magazine, um, you know, obviously we care deeply about our coverage and um, who we are covering, which historically has also been predominantly um, white men. And so we're trying to shift that as our many, many media uh, publications, um, media outlets, and even, I mean, even outdoor brands too are trying to shift that right now. But something that we're working on at the same time is shifting it from the back end. So we're thinking about who are we hiring? um, Who's writing for us? We have a goal 
right now that we actually track very, very carefully and we hold meetings around um, to try and move the needle. But our goal is to have a 50-50 um, gender breakdown with our bylines. So we want to see more women writing for us because we think that um, part of part of the positive change right now comes from not only who we're talking about, but who's doing the talking. So that's something we think a lot about right now. That is so true. Yes. Uh, that Have you heard of the Wheelhouse Workshops that we started putting on this year? No. Tell me about them. So it's kind of cool. We started putting on action sports photography workshops for women. Oh, sweet. Yeah, just to get more women behind the camera. So we were bringing in professional athletes, professional photographers, and then, you know, it was like a three-day event where women learn more tricks and tips with photos and with cameras and then editing and an art show. So it's definitely something I think about a lot is like just showing showing different perspectives from behind the lens and behind the pen or the computer. And um, I think it's wonderful that you guys are consciously thinking about who's writing for you. Thank you. That's awesome. I mean, those workshops sound so rad. Um, It's just, like I said, I mean, I feel like I sound like a broken record, but I really, it is such a positive, exciting time to be a part of the outdoor industry right now. It just, I feel like we're going to look back on this time in 10, 20, 30 years and think like, wow, that was a moment where we really saw a positive shift. Um, And it's just, it's fun to be a part of that. Yeah. So do you, do you do much writing anymore? What do you mostly do as a managing editor? Um, So I, I'm still working on my elevator pitch. I've been back for like nine months (laughs) and I'm I'm still trying to get it all down um, because the role of an online managing editor really anywhere, I think, is to help the website, or I guess I'm on the website, so help the website run whatever that means, however that takes. So a lot of my day-to-day is actually like helping um, troubleshoot and problem solve and making sure that we're meeting our frequencies, making sure that um, if there's an important news story that's uh, breaking, that we are thinking about a smart way to, to add to the conversation and um, making sure that those stories are coming in on time. Um, so I'm doing a little bit of editing, focusing on processes. Um, I do still write sometimes. I, I started um, way, way back in the day. I started out by writing, and I try and write still when I can. I do do some freelance work on the side. Um, this spring, uh, my friend Rachel Walker, who's a fantastic freelance writer, um, she and I ran the Javelina 100K together. We both DNF'd. Um, but it was a really wonderful experience. Neither one of us had ever done anything like ultra running before. So it was our first um, attempt at anything like that. And we ended up writing um, a feature for Runner's World on our experience and DNFing, but also how like at the end of the day, that didn't really matter because training for this like big, scary, massive thing actually had a really positive impact on both of our lives. So we kind of, we talked to some experts um, in more of like the science and psychology realms to kind of figure out like why that, why that was, why, why we both experienced these positive big life changes as we were training for this like crazy thing that we ended up not finishing in the end. Um, so anyways, that was a really fun story. It took a lot of work and a lot of time. And um, so I do try and write when, you know, with things like that, when something is super important to me, I try and make the time and the space to still write a little bit. How much were you running? Um, 
a lot. <laughs> I actually, yeah, um, last month, some of my coworkers at Outside and I um, ran the Bighorn Ultra up in Wyoming, uh, which was super beautiful. Um, so I was training again for another ultra, <laughs> um, but that one was a little bit shorter. Javelina was 100K and Bighorn offers a variety of distances. And I did the 32 miler, the 50K. Um, so I've been running a lot again, but now I'm done and I'm back to climbing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's incredible. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it's fun though, you know, and I, I really, I have a little bit of a type A personality. And so I um, actually really benefit from that type of structure that uh, running and a training plan provides. Yes. So you're fun with the type A personality um, because you have a, a fairly creative job and you work probably with a lot of photographers and writers who are stereotypically a little bit type B, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not always, but you know, with the stereotype. So how does that work for you? Do you consider yourself one with the creatives and, and do you consider yourself creative? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, I mean, you can be both. I, I have sort of, um, I think that my type A personality actually brings a lot, or at least I like to think it brings a lot of positivity to um, my day-to-day -day work and, and what I do. Because yeah, a lot of writers that I work with, I mean, I feel very lucky. I work with amazing writers who are not only incredibly talented and smart and great reporters and creative in the way they tell stories, but are almost always on time with their deadlines. Um, so I feel very lucky there, but I think that, you know, even when I work with people who are running late or who need a little more guidance or structure, that's where like that personality of mine actually comes in handy because I like have spreadsheets everywhere and I know exactly when every story is supposed to come in. Um, so like I'm there, you know, when something's late, emailing someone being like, Hey, uh, just checking in on this. It was supposed to come in three days ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I actually think that Yes, I work in a creative um, field, but my actual role within that creative field uh, is actually quite dependent on my organizational and kind of structure skills. Yeah, because they need that probably. <laughs> Some of them. Every, everybody needs everybody needs a good type A. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. So you... You work with a lot of freelancers and in-house staff, probably. What's what's your advice to photographers and writers who want to get their work published in Outside Magazine or any magazine for that matter? Um, you know, I think that I think that the most helpful advice I can offer is to really do your research um, before you reach out, especially if you don't already have an established relationship with an editor. Um, it's really, really hard, as we all know, to get the go-ahead on a cold pitch your first time around. Um, so I would say do your research first by reading, um, or if you know you're in the photo world, looking at the images that we use, and sort of getting a feel for where your ideas might fit best um, in our world and in our uh, outlet. And outside of that, I mean. For every single pitch, we are so much more likely to assign a story that comes to us with like 30% of the reporting are already done. Um, so I think a lot of times people have a tendency to kind of 
reach out and be like, hi, I'm excited to work for you guys. And here are like two sentences on a story or a photo essay that I want to do. And it's just hard, especially not having worked with someone before, it's hard to imagine what that might look like. So the more research, the better. Yes. And with that, let's kick it off to a commercial break. Do you feel like you have nothing in common with traditional ad agencies? Do you count time in powder days and desert trips? Do you own or work for a company that's heavily involved in the outdoor industry? And mostly, do you like measurable results that you can understand delivered by people who understand you? Hey, congratulations, you just found your brand's favorite adventure partner. That's right, I'm talking about those nerds over at wheeliecreative.com. Wheelie Creative, it's a creative agency for people who thrive outside. If you want results, awesome content, and human beings that are fun to work with, you found your brand's favorite adventure partner. WheelieCreative.com, check them out. But wait, you may be thinking, Lisa, isn't this your company? Yes, yes it is. And I have to pay my employees to edit this podcast right now. And so that means that you get to listen to a commercial about it. WheelieCreative.com, marketing made fun. Cool. So you you have a fun job in that you, just like us on the agency side, even though we're on more of the brand side, um, we work with a lot of things that you can't touch or see, like branding and words and photos. And um, it's kind of interesting to, to talk about how much value these things provide, even though they're not necessarily tangible. Does that impact your job as well and analytics and all the things that you that you help quantify in your spreadsheets. Um, how do you kind of wrap your head around quantifying things that aren't necessarily real in the physical sense? Oh, wow. That's, that's such an interesting question. Um, I think that for us and not only us at outside, I think everywhere I've worked historically, it's a very, um, tricky, but important balance between, the numbers, like looking at analytics and how much traffic we're, we're receiving. And um, obviously that plays into how happy our advertisers are and how well we're able to sell things. Um, but it's a balance between kind of that side of the business, but also thinking about, do we care about this story? And yeah, that's not like a thing you can hold, but that's a thing you can feel. You know, you you can you can tell when a story is good. You can tell when a feature is something that is going to resonate with people, um, you know, whether it's because it makes you laugh or it makes you cry, or it, it's something that I go home and I'm thinking about like days later. Um, to me, even though that's not something that you can like hold on to physically, it's still something you can like feel physically. Um, and so I, I think that there is, there's just such a tricky balance between making sure that you're delivering on that kind of gut feeling editorial side of things, but also making sure that the numbers are adding up. And um, I mean, that's something that everyone in media struggles with every single day of our lives, especially in this landscape. Um, (laughs) But luckily, I, I still I'm a little old school, probably in my belief, but I 
I really do believe that good journalism and good storytelling shines through. And those two worlds can work very well together because at the end of the day, people want to read good stories. People love just a great story and um, they will take the time to read that and advertisers will be happy that they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always say that good stories just make people feel feelings. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And so why do you like why do you think that this is important to you know have magazines and places that we go in the industry to see stories and read stories and see photographs like why do you think that's important to the industry at large and and on the consumer side I mean media as a whole the whole reason I got into it really is because it's an opportunity to answer questions that everyone is asking and wondering about or to shed light on something really cool that you wish like all your friends knew about, but they don't. Um, it's, it's just, it's an opportunity to kind of be a megaphone for the public, I think. Um, and so from a consumer side, like there are questions out there that, you know, people who shop at outdoor brands are asking about sustainability and, how lucky am I that I get to play a role in being part of the entity that answers those questions for, for curious minds? Um, I just, I think that, you know, yes, the media landscape is changing, not only in the outdoor media industry, but as a whole everywhere. And we all know that and it has been changing for decades at this point. And it's, but it's never going to go away because People are always going to be curious. Um, consumers of media, readers, the public, they're always going to have questions and have that hungry brain that desires more information, more answers. And it's it's the media industry's role to answer those. Absolutely. Do you, uh, what do you think is the future of editorial? How like even in your career, how have you seen it change? And kind of what what do you anticipate and guess is going to happen in the future? I think that one of the biggest struggles um, for the media industry as a whole right now is, I mean, obviously everything is shifting to online more and more, and we're seeing more of that, but we're also seeing more of a multimedia presence. And before that used to mean things like integrating, um, you know, video with a story. But now what we're seeing is like, blowing out these more interactive features. Like we just published at Outside um, late this spring, this huge super feature on the Grand Canyon. And it's a collection of stories, both short and long with there are maps in there, there are videos. Um, and you're actually like going down the river as you click story to story or photo to photo, you're, you're going down like mile by mile down the river down the Colorado river. And I think that we're going to see more and more of um, kind of creativity helping us shape storytelling. So whether that means like interactive web features or things like incorporating audio, like this podcast um, right now, we partner at outside with autumn, which have, have you heard about autumn? No. Um, so they're this really cool app that um, they base. It's basically like an audiobook for long features. So we partner with them and they record our long features so that people can listen to them, you know, while they're driving or running 
or whatever that may be. And, you know, it's not just us. Autumn also works closely with The New Yorker, with um, Wired and and big brands like that that tell interesting stories. But anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole now. But um, <laughs> my point is that I just think that we're going to continue to see new ideas and new forms of storytelling. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's no longer just like print versus online. It's more like, how can we get all these mediums to work together as one to tell the best possible story? So how does, you know, for outside as an example, how, how do you guys integrate the experience between the print magazine and the digital experience? So that's something that we've come such a long way in the past few years. Um, Our online and our print teams work really closely together now. Um, And it's something we're still continuing to shape. But almost every story that we publish in print will make it online. And then we publish even more online. Um, But we're no longer, I think there was a time when all media brands were kind of just taking print and plugging it into online. Um, Now we're trying to think more carefully about I don't know, does that does that art really work for online? You know, look great in the magazine, but maybe we need to hire an illustrator to change the lead on this on the story. Or um, you know, a lot of times those big features from the magazine are the ones that we partner with Autumn on. And so we have a little recording embedded. Um, so you can actually listen to the feature instead of reading it if you prefer. Uh, we also um sometimes will look at something and decide that it's it would be better if it were complemented by a video component. And so then we will have our video team dive into that. And um, anyway, so we really are trying to think more carefully about how to kind of broaden our storytelling skills. And I don't think print is ever going to go away. Like th- it, there's just something magical about holding a magazine or a newspaper in your hands. And I, I don't think that will ever change. Um, but I do think that there's room for us to get even more creative and kind of find more exciting ways to tell those print stories online. Yes. And like how people consume media in real time and, you know, the the power of podcasting when you're literally between someone's ears. And yeah, I just think there are so many different ways to get information now. Um, that it's very cool that you guys are consciously thinking about how to reach everyone or more people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, totally. And like the cool part about that kind of like real time um, consumption is that it becomes not only consumption, but also a conversation. So we have this fantastic social media team. Um, There are three really, really smart young women uh, spearheading our social skills or our social toolkit right now. Um, and they, you know, we've kind of empowered them to take on a voice that's a little bit sassier and a little bit um, more opinionated than I think the average uh, publication has. And I think that's really cool because it inspires our readers to react to that real time um consumption. So, you know, maybe they're reading a a news story and they're upset that we left something out. They will let us know. I mean, as we all know, (laughs) they will absolutely let us know. Um, But, you know, that's something then that the social team will bring to um, some of the higher up editors and they'll say, hey, like, 
we kind of like left this out. We should think about writing a story about about this component or, you know, that's social media is a great way to catch breaking news because a tweet is a lot faster to write than an entire article. So it's easy for us to to lean on social um, to kind of help shape our own storytelling. And that's it's just it's like a direct line of communication between us and our readers, which is really cool. Absolutely. It uh, it seems very apparent that like Instagram is shaping how people um, how, how people interact with the outdoors and the things people do to get a shot. And, you know, it's a lot of work to hang off a cliff and set up a timer and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, edit the photo, post the photo. Like people put a lot of time and effort into getting the shot for Instagram. And then you see all these people who actually make their entire living on Instagram. And so their life is dependent on this app their livelihood. Do, do you see this whole system as sustainable or entertaining or like, what, is, what are your thoughts on the way that this cultural phenomenon has changed the outdoor industry? You know, I, I struggle with it a little bit because I know, I think we're all intelligent enough to assume that not everything we see on Instagram is really how it is. You know, hashtag van life is probably not that glamorous when you're actually not like showering for three weeks at a time um, and eating canned beans. So I think, you know, there was a time when, especially when those like more photo heavy platforms like Instagram started taking off where um, there was almost a little bit of like jealousy and FOMO. If you're, you know, I sit, I sit behind a screen most days. And um, if you're sitting there like scrolling through someone's beautiful climbing Instagram account, it's easy to feel like you're missing out and feel like, oh, dang, like, did I like choose wrong? Like, I really wish I could be doing that. Um, But I think, you know, we've all sort of started to realize that Instagram is kind of a way to showcase a personal brand that you've, that you've crafted for yourself. And so, yes, we get to see those pretty places, but a lot of times um, we kind of leave out the honesty, um, which I know, you had mentioned in one of our emails, um, my honest campaign Instagram account um, <laughs> that I started with my friend uh, Cassie uh, Cassandra Clues. She's a freelance writer in the industry who's fantastic. Um, but that's one we've kind of let it sleep a little bit. We used to live in Boulder together, so we we were working on it more actively then. But our idea there is to sort of showcase the less glamorous side of camping or outdoor adventure in general. So like we have a picture of when I, you know, I was running this, this long trail run, I was so hot and tired and I totally wiped out and skinned my knee. And so there's like a picture of my bloody knee on this Instagram account. Um, and so I don't know, that's kind of, it was our like kind of fun, um, way to add a little more transparency to that beautiful outdoor Instagram conversation. Um, but in terms of sustainability, I know there are people who are like, sponsored Instagram stars, Instagram influencers who um, make their livings off of this. And I, I mean, honestly, I don't know if that's sustainable. That's not something that, that I do. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it seems like, I mean, it seems like a lot of fun, right? Like if you get to like travel around and yeah, I mean, you're right. Like you said, it takes a ton of work to like hang off a cliff and set the timer and get the perfect shot. But if that's your entire job, like, 
there is still a part of me that's like, ooh, that sounds like a lot of fun, you know? Um, so I don't know if it's sustainable, I guess. Sorry, I, I got a little rambly there. But um, I, I'm not sure if it's sustainable, but it seems like a lot of fun. And so I hope that those people who are getting to experience that are just are having a blast doing it. Absolutely. And uh, how does Instagram impact what you guys do at Outside? I mean, I think that, well, there's a lot of talk right now about, like, I know Leave No Trace um, released their their new rules um, recently, and they're kind of more conscious about social media and what it means to uh, tag your location and, and what that means for impact on the environment. And I think that that's the kind of thing, like, that's the story that we're interested in telling um, because it's sort of like, thinking about this huge thing that's happening in our world right now and how it's impacting the outdoor industry as a whole. So like, that's the story that we're looking to tell in terms of like day-to-day stuff. I mean, Instagram is a great way to find awesome photographers who are maybe a little under the radar still. Um, If, if we look at an Instagram account and it's like absolutely beautiful, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's a photographer that we want to work with one day. Um, So it's sort of in a way Instagram has become almost like a real-time portfolio, I think, for photographers. And I I shouldn't speak for photographers because I certainly am not one myself. Um, But I think that it's just a really cool way to show the, not only the lifestyle that's exciting and fun and that you're proud of, but also the work that you're proud of if you're a photographer. Yes. Yep. Do you share a mattress with someone and one one person likes the mattress soft and squishy and the other person likes the mattress to be hard, like they're sleeping on the floor? There's mattresses out there for that. I don't know what they are, but I can tell you about a great creative agency, Wheelie Creative, where we know nothing about mattresses and everything about branding. I got you good. I fooled you. You thought that was going to be a mattress ad, but really it's for a creative agency. Wheelie is a new school creative agency for people who thrive outside. We do branding, strategy, content, tons of video work, tons and tons of product launches. WheelieCreative.com. You won't regret it, and we know nothing about mattresses. So, last question for you. Tell us about your, uh, I believe you called them wiki edit-a-thons. Ah, yes. Yes. Um, so this is something I feel very passionately about. Um, yes. So I think it's like almost two years ago now, Cassandra Clouse and I um, started teaching people how to create and edit entries on Wikipedia. Um, Wikipedia is almost totally run by men. Um, and it's something that they are working on changing, but it's it's definitely not there yet. So what that means is that when you have a bunch of men who are the ones approving what goes public on this like huge encyclopedia that we all look at, um, you just see a lot more men on there. So we sort of, uh, we, we learned about this problem and we started thinking, like, how can we, how can we help? How can we add to this conversation? Because I mean, when you Google someone and you see their Wikipedia page, that is a sign that that person is 
important and is a valuable um, persona in whatever industry they work within. And so if you Google someone and, and that isn't coming up, then, I mean, maybe that, that flags the opposite and that's not fair. And so we were noticing there were a ton of women who do not have Wikipedia pages from within the outdoor industry. Um, and so we started hosting, we started partnering with uh, like local breweries and local uh, like brands within the outdoor world to um, host these workshops where we have um, a handful of people come out and it can be anyone. You don't have to work in media or anything, or even in the outdoor industry, you can just be an enthusiast. Um, and you come out and we will teach you how to um, find valuable resources, how to, I mean, unfortunately, Wikipedia as a whole is a little bit like clunky to use sometimes. So we'll teach you how to use it and um, how to have the best shot at getting your pages approved by those editors. And so then we'll, that'll be like the first half of the workshop. And then the second half, we'll all just like sit down, have a beer. And we have a list of like rad women of the outdoors who we want to get on Wikipedia. And we just like start plugging away at those. Um, so I think that, I hope that we can continue to not only add those, those people to Wikipedia, but also teach other just like members of the public how they can have that kind of positive change on the internet and on this source and tool that we all rely on. Um, we've helped other, we've helped like women in tech and women in science um, host their own versions of our editathons so that they can also um, start having an impact within their own industries, getting more women on the encyclopedia. Sorry, I can ramble forever about that one, but um, it's something I feel very strongly about. And um, it's just a way that you can like make the internet a better place. Um, and you can do it like from your bed at 10 p.m. at night when you don't want to go to sleep yet. Uh, and that's really cool. I love that. Thank you. Uh, that is, yeah, that is fantastic. That is such a cool, like positive, important thing to do. Thank you. And yeah, so we're, we used to be, um, when we were both living in Boulder, Colorado, we used to host them primarily up there, but um, we are now talking about taking our edit-a-thons on the road, and we hope to start doing that this fall. Um, so, you know, traveling around, and I mean, obviously, like, we're not making any money on this, so it's not like, you know, we don't have a huge budget or anything to work with. It's just something we feel passionately about and we do for fun. So we'll, we'll do it when we can, when we can squeeze them in. But, um, our goal is to start traveling around, probably starting with the West and then maybe branching out to more of the East and Midwest. Um, but just teaching people everywhere how they can get more women on Wikipedia. Yes. Very cool. Thank you. Wow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And, uh, where can people follow you on social or any websites? Um, you can find me, um, everyone calls me Abby, but my like online name is Abigail. So at Abigail wise, like everywhere you go, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I don't know. Do people still use LinkedIn, LinkedIn? <laughs> um, <laughs> always Abigail wise. Uh, and thanks so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Sweet. Thank you so much for listening. So you can follow Abby at, at Abigail Wise. She also has a website, abigailwise.com, that has links to all her social. And uh, we'll see you next time.
So next week on the podcast, I talked to Paulina Dow about the transition between going full-time at a job to a jumping ship and looking at what it means to be a freelance photographer. So it's so exciting. It's just the creative conversations we all have with ourselves and the kind of the struggle of the creative personality in a high-achieving world. So uh, tune in next week. Here's a sneak peek of Paulina. Oh, man. Well, is there any advice you can give to our listeners who are mostly marketing managers and people in editorial and things like that? Oh, gosh. Uh, (laughs) Hire more photographers and writers and people of color. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I feel like I think if there was anything I had to say, it would really be that because, um, you know, Yes, we have made a good chunk of progress, but we can we can still do more. And I think the more we uplift others' um, voices and stories and images, especially people who don't look like ours, I think we just have a more well-rounded community.